Welcome back to Call to the Table, a fun-filled podcast where we talk about faith, our hearts, and anything funny under the sun, just because that's who I am and I want to be funny all the time. I'm Liv. (laughs) I'm John. I'm Jordan. I'm Caroline. All right, so this month we are kind of playing off the Enneagram a little bit and we thought it would be fun to dive more into each member because we have not really had a chance to do that and let y'all know a little bit more about who we are and our testimony. So we're doing something that we have joked about in other episodes of people being put in hot seat. So we're going to do that this month. And actually next month, we're going to do all four members. And so who the person being put in the hot seat this month is Olivia. Oh, joy. (laughs) my favorite thing in the whole wide world because i mean come on olivia always puts everybody in the hot seat so it just made sense to make her first tit for tat my dear Mm -hmm. that that means olivia we are not going to be as refined with yours where by the time they get to like say caroline we're going to be perfectly dialed in oh Oh, yeah thank you guys (laughs) oh but (laughs) this just means i get to set the standard my way (laughs) very very true so Liv I'm going to kind of let you talk for a little bit and I I want to kind of hear your story up to the time that you became a teenager kind of what did your childhood look like yeah well I grew up in the church my family pretty much predominantly went to a it was not so much Southern Baptist, but it was like closer to the Southern Baptist Baptist spectrum, if you want to call that a spectrum of some sort. And, you know, I just, I went, you know, I went to Sunday church. I did Sunday school. I did the Wednesday youth groups. I was a part of the church's choir. I was a homeschooler. So I did the homeschool groups. I mean, everything that you would imagine a good young Christian girl to potentially be doing, I probably fell into that category, being, growing up in the church, singing in the choir, being a homeschooler. <laughs> but I also had the, I had the pleasure and, and I had the, I was, I was fortunate enough to be a part of uh, dancing and I was really involved and really interested in that. And about the time I was like eight or nine, I knew I wanted to take it on pretty seriously. And my parents took the initiative of finding a new studio to participate in that was going to give me the facility I needed to continue to pursue this as a career. Yeah. And, and for me during that time, it was never a question on how to navigate faith and dance because for me they were just two completely separate separate things i had my everyday talking about jesus talking about jesus talking about jesus Uh i had had to bring that up in season two of course of course (laughs) it was my it was my everyday you know talking about talking about the lord and building that strong foundation in faith uh, through homeschooling, through homeschool groups, through being, you know, regular, you know, being regular in church and in, in Wednesday night, like youth groups, because out where I was, it was always on a Wednesday night, which was perfect because I danced every other day. So Wednesday was my only free day and I wanted to spend it with, with people at church. 
But there was never really a need or a breakdown of, oh, faith in dance. It was just two completely different organizations in my brain, and there were two completely different things for me to do. And there was, you know, there was some dancing in the church I went to. Uh, it was quote unquote praise dancing, if you if you will, which isn't the same as what I do. They're they're two completely different things, and I never really had to put those two pieces, you know, together. Except for the fact that in choir, I was always picked to do the praise dancing because oh well, Olivia's Olivia's a, a dancer; she'll pick it up easily. I'm realizing they're like two completely different things. So, so yeah, I, I grew up within the church and, and I found, you know, I found that as a young child, this was the, in my community, it was the norm because homeschoolers are, at least in my area, the homeschool group I was with, they were, we were all believers. We all followed the Lord. My parents did a really great job of incorporating faith into our curriculum. We did, a lot of history lessons, a lot of Bible lessons. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much what it looked like throughout your childhood. What my, yeah, that's pretty much what my childhood looked like. I was very much a homeschool. How did those influences that you had between like what you said, being in the church so much, and then in addition to that, being a homeschooler and, and having those influences, and then also your, your dance influences, how did that impact you as a person? I think it was, it was a, you know, looking back on it and, and looking at my childhood now, it was a task oriented, check the boxes to do what is right. Because I didn't know how to incorporate all of the pieces of my life together at such a young age. And because I didn't really know what it looked like to, to really be of the Lord and be of faith at such like, you know, most, most kids don't, most kids grow up and like, Oh yeah, Jesus loves me. This I know. So I'm going to, I'm going to accept him into my life. I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to, I'm going to do the things that I'm supposed to do. And I think the outward things in my life really influenced that. Oh, well, I need to accept Christ into my life. I need to get baptized because that is what I'm supposed to do. It wasn't so much a I feel this, you know, yearning and call to follow the Lord. Yeah. Because, and I'm not saying that like dancing kind of kept that away, but because I didn't know how to incorporate the two and because I had my homeschool group friends and my church friends and then my dance friends where we didn't talk about faith, we didn't talk about Jesus and it wasn't a faith-based studio. It was very much a pre-professional location, which was perfect, is exactly what I needed in that season of my life. The influences that I had were, well, everyone else is doing it. Everyone else has done this. I need to do it too. It was kind Does of the mob sense? mentality. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, when you're homeschooled, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of the, the norm, I guess. Yeah. And I can say that because I was yeah. homeschooled. <laughs> And guys, if y'all have questions, I know obviously every week we have an outline. Our listeners don't know that, but we do. If y'all have questions about any particular things she's talking about, y'all just jump in. Like, don't put it all on me. So, Liv, at what point did 
you, before we kind of go into your teen years, do you feel like you had officially made that commitment to Christ, like uh, on a personal level and not a mob mentality before you were a teenager? Or was it more of, I just need to do it because everybody else is doing it? Yeah, I think it it was around 12 or 13 when I actually like had this fall to my knees moment. For a little context, I remember it was before the age of seven. I remember going into my mom's room and saying, hey, mom, I, I accepted Jesus into my life. Like, this is what I did. Like, let me tell you what I did. And I can vividly remember doing that, but I can't vividly remember actually praying and accepting the Lord. I don't know why I can't remember that. Like, I don't know why that's not at the forefront of my mind. But it was it was probably 12 or 13 when I was really sitting and in, in thinking about it. I had finished up my co-op. I was too old to do the the homeschool co-op that we were originally doing. And I was I was doing, you know, I was spending like eighth grade and some of ninth grade um in a homeschool kind of teaching scenario where we went once a week and got our lessons, we took our tests, and then for the rest of the week we did our curriculum and we did our schoolwork. But I remember sitting in my room, which was in the basement at the time, doing my schoolwork and it was it was something along the lines of feeling that knock on the door. Like we were having dialogue about our salvation and feeling that knock, that call from the Lord of like, come to me, my child, and and accept me for who I am, basically. And I remember just like crying because I couldn't remember because I was typing out my my paper of like when I heard that call. I was like, I can't remember that moment. And I like sat with my mom and was like, I I don't know if I'm actually saved. She was like, yeah, of course you are. You know, you came to me and told me that you accepted the Lord. You've been baptized. And I was like, yeah, but I can't remember that. Like, I don't remember doing that. I remember telling you I did it, but I don't remember actually doing it. She was like, well, let's sit down. And we sat on the floor. She goes, let's do it now. Let's do it now. I was like, all right, cool. So I, I did it again, you know, because I couldn't remember and and I wasn't a hundred percent sure, and I felt that like knock on my heart of like you need you need to dedicate your life to me. You you are of an age to actually comprehend what it means to be saved and what that salvation looks like. So it's it's time it's time. Um, so yeah, that that it was probably around twelve or thirteen that I truly consider myself saved. Um, but you know, right? That's outside the mob mentality. I think depending on which one you, you count, you know, and I could have easily, easily have done the prayer and had asked the Lord into my life, you know, sometime before seven, but I really consider that like 12, 13 yeah. year old self. Right. When Caroline I, I has did a question. it for me. So <laughs> I feel like this is so much more shallow based on what you just said but I was just thinking you've already talked about the people in your life who were deep influences on you uh what kind of media just because I know Jordan and I we have yeah. certain media that we'll be talking about but uh how about you like what um like shows or books in particular uh any music what really influenced you yeah 
at that particular age, so before I was a teenager, it was a lot of, it was a lot of the like early or late nineties, early two thousands, um, Christian music. So I had like Bebo Norman, Jackie Velasquez, Avalon, like these very clearly like early 2000s groups that I really listened to and I really enjoyed. Nicole C. Mullen, Barlow Girl was a big one for me at one point in my teenage years. And they were all faith-based media far as far as music goes. We were allowed obviously to listen to like I listened to Backstreet Boys and NSYNC yeah, and Britney Spears and we were allowed <laughs> to listen to those things and we were allowed to like, right? Um, <laughs> let's go, Britney all the way. I'm I'm more of a Backstreet Boys girl than an NSYNC girl. Uh, Come at me, Twitter. <laughs> That's okay. Backstreet Boys is still a thing. NSYNC isn't, so... Let's look at the longevity, shall we? <laughs> Side note. Side note. NSYNC never like officially broke up. They just stopped singing together. So technically, like in the books, they're still a band. Technically. Same with Backstreet Boys. They just had, you know, health. There was, uh, I can't remember which one it was, had had like a heart heart condition. And they had to stop because of his heart condition. So technically. And Backstreet Boys still make music. But I digress. Um, <laughs> As far as like shows and books and things like that, I was, you know, there was the required reading from, um, from my school, which was like Last of the Mohicans. We, we read a lot of, um, European inspired books and Russian inspired books. We read, we, we read faith-based books. There was, there was several in my life. Uh, there's one, hold on, I'll pull it up. I didn't think I was going to have to pull this one up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> why we put you in the hot seat it's it's coming it's loading doo, doo, doo. no this is not jeopardy <laughs> uh, okay so i was really into this series called the door within which was a wayne thompson batson series back when i was in like middle school high school which kind of talked about like entering into the spiritual realm at least that's how i took it like this normal person who followed the spirit was like entering into the spirit and like fighting on behalf of angels and fighting demons and so there was that there was you know clearly there was harry potter that was a huge thing 12 13 14 i was already like neck deep into it and and as far as tv shows go i i didn't really watch a whole lot outside of like we had our normal you know survivor nights but when i would sit down and watch television it would either be during lunchtime when I was homeschooled and I was taking my lunch break or catching up on reruns, like again, with Survivor or um, I didn't really watch a whole lot of the current fad. Um, I watched Avatar. I loved Avatar. I loved Teen Titans. Yes. I loved, the, I loved all the nerdy yeah. stuff. <laughs> I loved all the really nerdy stuff, but I was never home during the times that they would come on, so I'd have to watch the reruns. And we grew up, obviously, like being homeschooled. We grew up on Bible Man and Veggie Tales and um, yeah, man, all of that stuff as well. Like we really loved Silly Songs with Larry. Huge fan yeah, of that. That's what I was waiting for you to say. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> we have to put that out there. This is what unites us as a group: Silly Songs with Larry. Yes. Come on, guys. Uh, yeah. So yeah, and I I like to think that my I didn't I didn't feel like they were 
I was influenced by a lot of the media, especially the fictional media that I, I was ingesting because I, I was able to have a clear difference between reality and fiction. And I've always had this like very clear cut, like where can I find Christ within the fiction that I'm, I'm putting into my mind? And I talked about that in Christ in the, in the, in the media during season one, where I've always had this sense of understanding how I can use media to bring someone to the Lord or preach the gospel. So I never really felt as much influenced by by media as much as it was the social groups around me. Yeah, makes sense. Alrighty, moving on. So Liv. <laughs> so go go ahead and move on to you know like your teen years into your early twenties, just because okay. I don't think anybody else got anything for your early childhood. No, <laughs> unless Caroline does. <laughs> yeah, so. By the time I was 14, I knew it was time for me to like seek a different form of education. I started my freshman year with with homeschooling, but just something wasn't clicking. I was really struggling in math and science, shocker, because those are my favorite subjects. But I was really having a hard time grasping the curriculum and I could really tell that, you know, looking back on it, I could tell the Lord was blinding me to the education because I was being complacent in situations and my mom wanted to go back to school. So I went ahead and bit the bullet and I was like, I think it's time for me to go to public school. I was like, you, you, my mom had reached the point of educating me as much as she could. My brothers were still pretty young. So she finished out the year with them, but she wanted to go back and get her nursing degree. And I was like, well, I'll just, I'll just go ahead and do it. And I, I ended up going to public school the second semester of my freshman of my freshman year and immediately was labeled the homeschooler. I was labeled the good Christian girl. I was labeled the the quiet, socially awkward person because I took pride in the fact that I was homeschooled. And you would think like, again, early 2000s, it would be more of a, of a common thing for people to be like, oh yeah, I was homeschooled for X amount of years, but it wasn't. Homeschooling wasn't really a huge, it wasn't a huge ordeal until, you know, 2010, 2011, where it was like, oh yeah, that's actually a form of schooling. Because there's always that stigma of like public schoolers versus homeschoolers, which <laughs> one's smarter? So there was, there was that, you know, basic understanding and basic life of adapting to my social surroundings. And luckily, I still had dance to kind of teach me social life and how to have a social life. And then there was a co-op. and But it was like people didn't really care to dive deep into that aspect. They just immediately were like, oh, you are a homeschooler. You're a Christian. You must be socially awkward. You must not, you, you know, you must be closed-minded. I think I heard that quite, quite frequently, being a closed-minded high schooler, closed-minded teenager. Which was hard because I'm like, no, I'm really not. I don't feel like I'm that close-minded. I feel like I'm I'm pretty open to talking to people. But, you know, there would be certain subjects that would come up like alcohol, drugs, sex, you know, and people would ask my opinion and immediately I'd give the very typical homeschool Christian answer. And they're like, oh, well, you're closed-minded. We do this, 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 and this. And, 
you know, not not really be able to engage with people in my in my high school. And at first, I felt like in my early 20s, that was kind of a similar label, but I, I had already had three and a half years of a public school on top of it, so I didn't really have to worry about my image so much in college. I'm like, well, I can just hide behind the fact that I was public schooled. There's a homeschool backing to me. There's still a little bit of socially awkwardness. Like, I still have my morals, but I don't have to, like, I don't have to announce that to everyone. I don't have to, like, flat out say, oh, I'm a good Christian former homeschooler who went to public school and everyone thought I was super self or sheltered. And that's not necessarily the case. You know, I, I absorbed a lot of information yeah. socially. And uh... John has a question. Yeah. After I okay. hit the, you know, death's my knee. <laughs> so I know, I know a little bit about homeschooling because I grew up with a close friend that was homeschooled, but not everybody knows the type of homeschool programs there are out there. What was yours like? Yeah, mine was, well, it depends on which season of life. There was the co-op where we met, we met once a week. We had like announcements and things like that. And it was a really big social, pretty much a social thing. And we were there for a grand total of probably like three hours. First 30 minutes was like catching up and Bible study and prayer. Um, and then the kids would spend an hour in one quote unquote elective. And then there would be like a 15 minute transition and we get to spend another quote unquote or another hour of quote unquote elective. And then the last 15 minutes was just like gathering your stuff up. And that those electives could range anywhere between you know, physics and playing around with like really cool things in that realm. Or I, I did U.S. presidents and like a history lesson through U.S. presidents. We did Women of America and I learned how to make pillows and, you know, it was more colonial type things to I did a survivor survival class where each week we learned a new aspect of if you were stuck on the on the game show Survivor, <laughs> if you were stuck on an island here are the things you need to know. So I, I learned how to make uh, a tourniquet. I learned how to make, you know, how to, if someone had a broken leg, how to take care of that. I learned what dehydration looked like. I lo I learned like what it looked like if someone was low blood sugar or if someone was overheating or was having a heat stroke or all of these really cool things. I learned so how to make kind of like fire. a first Just, aid class plus making fire. Yeah. And then there was like PE and different things like that. So it was, it was very interactive for the kids who are a part of it. And then when I, you know, my last year of middle school and the first half of my high school year, like I said, we did this like once a week thing where I'd go in and we'd spend like maybe 45 minutes on English, either taking a test or turning in our papers or learning about what we were supposed to do the next for the next week. Then we go into like literature and we go into math and we go into science and we go into all of these different subjects. And it was kind of like a receive the work, like give me the homework, give me the tests, give me the papers. Here's your assignments for the next week. And then that would happen on like Tuesdays and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Monday, I would have to do self-sufficient homeschooling. So I would sit down and start my papers. I would do my my lesson plans for literature. I would do my homework for math and I would do all of that stuff on my own. So I, I was very self-sufficient as far as that season of life with homeschooling. And going along with that, with your like dancing during that time, was it like a homeschooled dance group 
because I do know there are groups out there that are specifically for homeschoolers because my friend was actually on a homeschooler baseball team. Okay. No, I, there, there was a few of those options. And one of the really cool things that I love about my current job is we offer homeschool classes and we offer classes during the day for homeschool families, which is super fun. And I get to teach those, but no, I, I was a part of a pre-professional ballet company where I was probably one of the only individuals who was actually homeschooled in my entire in my entire company. So I was always able to like, oh, I can show up and help learn how to set and strike stage or oh, I don't really have to be up early in the morning after this show because I'm homeschooled, I could do it on my own and I could get up when I want to. So I'll I'll stick around and help clean the the studio or something like that. So it was a I was probably the only homeschooler in a prominently public school area until I went to public school. And then the same mentality, though, is like, oh, well, I can just skip classes tomorrow. My parents will let me skip and let dance have a priority because my grades were so good. <laughs> Not to brag or anything. I had really oh, yeah. good grades in high school. I'm actually kind of smart. Really? I, I would have never guessed Just a little. I'm, I'm a little smart. <laughs> just like I would have never guessed I have a little bit of quiet. intelligence to me. Oh, I was so quiet in high school, though. Oh, I didn't talk. I didn't talk. I didn't interact with people because I felt very ostracized. Ostracized, yeah. that's the word. And there wasn't, there wasn't an amount of shame to it, but it was definitely, there was a level of like, because I was against the norm, because I didn't drink, because I didn't smoke, because I didn't partake in peer pressure. I didn't go to parties. I didn't have a boyfriend. I didn't do the things that in my area were the norm I was kind of seen as like an alien I was kind of seen as like oh that homeschooler like people would get extremely hush hush around me if I'd walk into a room and they were talking about sex because they didn't know how much I actually knew and they just assumed that I didn't know what sex was period we still think you're an alien so like, we just want to play with you that's all well, I mean, <laughs> yourself definitely an alien to what you are now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was a completely different person. Yes, Caroline. Then. So did you really, like, I guess because this isn't something that happened to me, I'm, I'm very curious. Were you really peer pressured, like, that much? Like, it sounds like there were people out there who were really, really trying to get you to drink and do drugs and uh i mean would you say that that was the case that you experienced a lot of peer pressure i didn't necessarily experience like forcibly peer pressure on me mainly because i didn't hang out with a whole lot of people outside of school so like when i would be in class i would show up like right on time i had my friend group and i had people that i would hang out with but i would show up to class either extremely early so I was already engaged with my schoolwork I was already engaged with what I was doing within that particular lesson and I would kind of sit off to my my you know on my own but I didn't I didn't necessarily experience a lot of like drug and alcohol peer pressure through high school because I was an enigma <laughs> <laughs> I was this like random person and a lot of my friends that I did have in public school were former homeschoolers so we just all kind of like hung out with each other and kind of just like all experienced that there was especially in my early 20s since this is this is a part of that um in college there was a lot of peer pressure as far as sex goes I'm I'm very much 
proud of the moral standing that I have with myself and the promises that I've made to myself. You know, people look at church as, as, as far as purity and they, they kind of do it as a fear tactic of like, don't have sex or you're going to hell or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, and in college, especially in my early 20s, it was, well, how, how can you marry someone that you don't know intimately like that? Um, and a lot of a lot of condescending questions and not really listening to the reasoning why I'm, I've saved myself for so long. And especially at that point, I'm living on my own. I'm, I'm in college where, I, you know, you, you have the facilities to really explore that area of one's life. And um, there was a lot of peer pressure in that sense, especially seen like not so much senior year by the boyfriend that I was dating at the time. Um, but there was a peer pressure within senior year of like, well, if you're going to marry him, which everyone thought we were going to get married, but I didn't think we were going to get married to be completely honest. Like even my family was like, Oh, high school sweethearts. And like, I'm like a child. Like That's <laughs> not how it's going to work. I have a lot of life to live. That's a um, really great way of thinking about it. Like that to me, that's unique. Like that's really yeah. cool. Yeah, I, I am a child. I, <laughs> I like to think that I had a little bit of maturity. And I think that came a lot through dance of just like having that sound maturity in my life of knowing who I was and not wavering, um, especially in high school, because I knew who I was um, to an extent. That doesn't that doesn't negate the fact that I struggled with identity for a long time because it was always put into question. My identity was constantly put into question through high school, through college, and even through you know different times of my life when I was living in Houston. Like I questioned my identity quite frequently. Of well, is this who I am? Like is am I this loud, rambunctious, I don't really care what people think of me, especially in college, individual or in high school? Like, am I this shy, quiet, stuttering girl who is just classified as a good Christian homeschool kid? You know, because there would be so many labels put on top of me that I was like, well, am I that? Um, and that's kind of where like going into my adult you know, when we get into that part, that's kind of where my testimony really takes a turn of just understanding identity and things of that nature. But to uh, to answer your question, to go back to the original question, no, I was never peer pressured with drugs or alcohol. My parents were super cool and always allowed us to have like a glass of wine or they kind of took that mystery away when we were younger. Um, I grew up in I grew up in an Italian home, so wine was a staple <laughs> with with meals especially celebratory meals so that curiosity was always you know kind of nipped in the bud um and then with dance like the idea of altering my state of being through drugs would remove the the part of me that had that drive and passion for dance and I never wanted to jeopardize that so I I never felt truly truly pressured in those two aspects to experiment with because I, I wanted to dance and I didn't want to ruin my dancing career. Cool. Very so, cool. So Liv, before we move on to your 20s, we actually have a question from our from our favorite person ever, Miss Clara Mount, who, oh, I miss <laughs> you. who's been on here before. 
And she asks, Liv, what would you tell yourself at 19? What do you wish you would have known? Oh, you're not going to be the same person that you were or you are now at 19 that you are 10 years in 10 years. If I could look at my 19 year old self and say, this is not who you're going to be in 10 years, I think a lot of things would have been different. I would have probably would have probably been okay with the situation, like not okay with the situations that I was in, but I would have probably been less fearful, less, less judgmental. Yeah. I think I was in the best person in college, to be honest. Not that I was like a horrible person. I just, I wasn't, I wasn't my best <laughs> self um, at 19, at 18, 19, 20. So yeah, I think who you are now is not necessarily who you're going to be in 10 years. However, who you are now in the way that you handle situations is going to help refine who you're going to be if you handle them Ooh, with the Lord. That's good. Yeah, that's that's what I would say. Awesome. All right, so now we get to go to the fun part of your life because this is where we all entered. <laughs> oh, heavens. <laughs> this is only the most important part of your yes! life because of us. Yes. Well, duh. Right. Um, so go ahead and talk about kind of what your life looked like from your early 20s to how it is now and how it was, you know, brightened by all of our presence. <laughs> okay. Well, like I kind of hinted at, college was honestly the hugest struggle point in my in my faith. I still didn't understand the connection between dance and faith. Um, I was at a very secular college. I didn't, I picked I had several good friends that I had throughout the whole time I was in college, but it was like a core two or three. Everybody else was kind of just not a very good influence in my life. Uh, I, I didn't I didn't pick my friends wisely. I struggled with my faith immensely um, because the people around me were so open minded, and there were so many variations of people and faith and understanding and who they were and especially with identity you know and I, I use identity not in any other term but my identity in Christ um, I struggled a lot with allowing labels when people found out who I was as a Christian to define how I handled situations so this goes back to the didn't handle situations very well there was a lot more of there was a lot more peer pressure as far as like you know, it's easier to obtain alcohol in college. And while I didn't partake a whole lot pre-21, there was some times that I did partake pre-21. And I'm, you know, I'm not ashamed of of saying that out loud, but I never, I never got drunk. I was always too afraid of what that would do. I'm, I have a guilty conscience, so I was yes, always afraid of that. getting drunk. <laughs> um. And the the peer pressure of the constant questions of, well, you have this boyfriend and you're not having sex. So how, how are you supposed to know that you're going to get married to this person if you haven't explored that intimacy physically? That was probably the biggest thing that I struggled with, questioning like, well, are they right? Are they wrong? is this good? Is this bad? Like what? And I, I still, I've saved myself. I, I, you know, the Lord really redeemed that and really 
kept me strong through very hard times of having to answer that question over and over and feel judged about that decision over and over again. But I was really willing to appear completely opposite of what I was in high school. I was extremely loud and rambunctious. I was hyperactive. I was very um, willing to not care about what I was saying, how I was saying it, who was around when I was saying it. I didn't care if people would look at me and be like, wow, that person really shouldn't be speaking. There are like people around here that that could offend. Like I was not afraid of offending people. I'm still not really afraid of offending people because of my opinions of offense being subjective, <laughs> but that's my own opinion. Especially when it's spoken in truth. Like, I'm, I'm more confident in that now. But I was trying to put on this, this outfit of I want to appear more open-minded. And so I, I was allowing myself to see the world as flesh and not as, as, a, as the spirit, which goes against everything that I did through high school. I was very much, a, I was allowing myself to have a lens of, well, I'm of the world, so let's live in it, opposed to I'm, I'm in the world, let's live of the spirit, if that makes sense. So I kind of threw all of that away from that because I knew in high school what that labeled me as. And I saw what other people were being labeled as in college. And I didn't want to be a part of that group again of this like, oh, well, they're, they're going to church on Sunday, so they don't want to party with us on Saturday. I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be viewed as, like that because it was extremely judgmental. So it was this, I was guilty by association a lot of the time and I was, I was allowing it. Of allowing it. And that makes me guilty of judging and of just kind of not walking away from the Lord intentionally, but my actions were allowing me to draw farther and farther away from, from God um, through college. And that was really difficult because it's a false identity. I was, I was allowing myself to put these barriers up and put these walls up because I wanted to be viewed as this like strong, friendly, loves everybody person, which I could be a strong, friendly, loves everybody person, but I was doing it in the wrong way. I was going about it the wrong way. Um, and I sunk very deep into depression. I sunk very deep into anxiety. I was extremely lonely. Um, I realized that my friendships were very surface level. They didn't actually know who I was. And I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't. I was, I was very unhappy. It was, it was hard. It was hard. But, but. The Lord like pushed me onto my face, uh, my 20th birthday. I remember it so vividly. He was like, okay, you're done living of the earth, living of the flesh. Uh, you're going to learn how to live through me. I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to take you back. And it was kind of like a forceful take you back. It was kind of like, he grabbed me by the scruff of my neck, pulled me to like, <laughs> look at me dead in the face and was like, you're mine stop this. <laughs> and I was like, okay, sorry. Which was like equally as difficult because that was my, 
uh, my junior year, I still had so much. Was that my junior year? No, that was my sophomore year. I still had so much of college and I still wanted these friends. So I didn't know how to, it was again, still trying to balance this. How do I live with my faith first with all of these other facets, I still didn't know how to connect all the dots together. And the Lord was like, I'm going to teach you. I was like, okay, but I don't trust that. I don't trust you in that. Because at this point, a lot of, there's a lot of abandonment things. A lot of people where I was relying on them, but because it was so surface level, there was abandonment. And I was like, okay, well, mm, I'm now depressed and you're leaving. I'm now anxious and you're leaving. I am now like, relying on you and you've got this boyfriend who's basically living at our house and I'm uncomfortable with that because I may be this person who's like doesn't look like a Christian on the outside people are assuming or not necessarily assuming but kind of guessing I'm not a Christian because of my exterior appearance right now being the way I act but internally I'm like that still makes me uncomfortable so there was a constant feeling of being abandoned by all of these people when I needed them the most that I relied on. And I was like, okay, Lord, but you're going to leave me anyways, because you left me when I got to college. And it was like this anger towards the Lord of like, how can I trust you looking me in the eye and saying, you are mine now, and you're going to live through me and I'm going to, I'm going to reside in you and you're going to rededicate your life. I was like, okay, but how can I trust you? Because you've already left me. And it was so clear. It was like the first time I really heard the father's voice. And he was like, I never left you. I was like, you left me. Exactly. He was like, you left me. And I was like, oh. So I like face down was like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to live my life for the Lord. And that was sophomore year. But I was like really scared because I knew this transformation was going to either a bring a very clear and, um, scary line in the sand with the people that I did feel the most comfortable with but I also knew it was going to classify me in this level of the Christian college kid and I didn't like that you know I didn't like that in high school I didn't think I was going to like it in college so I I lived my I did I, you know I went through my junior year and it was a struggle um but I I started teaching at a Christian dance company and I was like slowly learning what it was like to put dance and faith together. It was hard. I still was like question marks everywhere. And I, I still kind of battled it for a while. But there was this slow, slow, slow connection of, oh, this doesn't have to look like praise dance. It can actually look technically accurate. How far can I push that and balance this integrity and excellence together? And so I started learning about that. And it was very clear that the friend groups that I was in didn't understand. It was very clear that the nights that I would go out to work would be their congregation time away from me to kind of speak about me because I would show up after work and they'd all be there and it gets super hushed. It was, it was again, it was like high school again, just like walking in and being like, oh, I was I was a topic of conversation five seconds ago. Got it. Cool. Um, my actions were very clearly different. I was watching my tone. I was watching my my 
vocabulary. I was watching my actions. I was speaking to a lot more people and being a lot more open to having conversations with people. I was very active in talking about the Lord and talking about faith, even though I felt like I was a baby Christian at that point, because while I gave my life to the Lord at 12 or 13, 20 is when I really was like, okay, now I'm actually living like a Christian. And it got so bad and it was so frustrating. I dropped out of, I dropped out of college. I didn't go back to college. (laughs) I was like, and I'm done. If we're, if we're, if this isn't where the Lord has me and if he's truly going to hold me and, and not abandon me, we're, we're leaving. We're, we're leaving college. It's over. I'm done. So I dropped out. I also failed several classes, classes that I wouldn't have normally failed. So it was very clear that the Lord was like trying to get me out yeah. of that environment. And I, I worked. I worked pretty much as full time as a dance teacher can do, as can work. And I just continued to, you know, I continued to grow in my fusing the two pieces together. There was still a huge identity crisis yeah. going on of like, well, I, I want to be perceived as this, but I'm afraid of what that means. You know, being perceived as a Christian in the dance world. And I was really blessed to have always had this, not backup plan, but this like reminder in the back of my head that my director used to give me of, oh, there's a dance company that you could fuse the two pieces together. She would tell me that in high school. I was like, oh yeah, that's cool. Like, but you know, I want to dance. I want to dance like this and I want to do this and I want to go here. And it was, it was AM. And so I joined AM and still had an identity issue of like, where do I fit into this? And it wasn't until my third year that I was like, oh, I'm a leader. This is what I need to do. And getting the opportunity to be not necessarily perceived, but like getting to be viewed as who I am and actually getting to sit in the true identity that I was made to be sitting in was really nice, especially that third year of being a leader and being able to to change the tone when I needed to change a tone. And then it was shaken and kicked out from underneath me because there was pride there. And the Lord was like, yeah, you're done there. Your identity isn't in Adayam. You're going to leave. And then I joined, you know, I joined Open Sky and that was really healing. And that was really, under- like, I look back on it and I understand, like, where my identity was being sh- sculpted and shaped in that sense. And now I'm in a place where, of course, like, there are moments where it's like, identity is still a topic of conversation between God and I. But I am so confident in the days where it's not in question, the days where it's not a struggle, that I'm doing my ultimate best to live a life that reflects the Lord. And I never knew how to put those pieces together. You know, it was like, I knew what I wanted to be perceived as. Again, this happy, friendly, loud, rambunctious, everybody's friend, everybody wants to get to know person because I didn't have that in high school, but also wanted this like everybody can come to 
and is going to give advice. Everyone can come to and is going to hold them and everyone can come to and they're going to, and I'm going to be sympathetic, empathetic and present a listening ear. I wanted all of that, but I was doing it so wrong. And now I feel like I'm doing it less wrong, <laughs> more, more faith, faith driven. So that was, that's really where the bulk of my testimony is, is, is college. Cause I was free. I was free to do what I pleased. Absolutely. Caroline had her hand raised, but I'm not sure if you answered her question. So you may have already pseudo uh, answered this, but uh, just you talking about how you went from very introverted to very extroverted. And I think it's interesting that you've stayed very extroverted. Uh, Would you say that that has come from your... I don't want to call it conversion, but just like the newfound confidence that you have and that this is your, I'm not going to say this is your new personality, but it's like you've found who you wanted to be the whole time. Yeah. I definitely feel like there's a level of confidence that at first I was faking, you know, going back to this whole like... I knew who I wanted to be, but I was hiding behind it. I was hiding behind the happy-go-lucky, no cares, I don't care what people think of me persona. But rededicating my life and really getting deep with the Lord, I have found that it comes with a great deal of confidence. Like I can stand up and talk to people and be very confident in who I am and be very confident in my personality and my outgoing extroverted self because I'm not hiding. It's who I truly am. Did that answer your question? Yeah, uh, cool. definitely. Uh, it's just something I was sort of musing on while you were talking. Yeah. And, and I think that's like probably my favorite part of looking back, especially when I was like going over, you know, my testimony. Cause one of the things I truly believe in is we, we have a long testimony. It's our, it's our entire life, but mm-hmm. There are facets in our testimony that the Lord is like, okay, I want you to share this today. I want you to share this tomorrow. There are parts of my testimony that I'm not sharing on the podcast because I don't feel like that's what the Lord wants me to share tonight or today. I feel like he wants me to share about identity and he wants me to share about what it looks like to have a false understanding and what it, what it looks like to be covering up fear of oneself and how he can transform that through through your identity mm. and you notice that you know I'm, I'm not really talking a whole lot about dance like because that was an idol that was an identity I held dance as like I'm a dancer that's who I am I had this written down <laughs> hold on she has notes where is it oh my goodness I didn't want to forget things she's, every single episode she's had notes this season so far. I know I'm growing. <laughs> yeah, I was I was known as like the homeschooler. That was an identity that I I was labeled with. I was known as the dancer. I was known as the friendly one. I was known as the loud one. Like these are identities that I held on and clung to because that's what got me where I was at at the time. But getting to share about identity in the sense of like, my identity is in the Lord and he then gives me these extra facets of my identity 
and it's not the other way around that I knew that he wanted, he wanted me to share for this particular podcast. So yeah, that, that confidence of finding my true identity in him and still being able to hold the things that I like about myself was such a huge boost because I was, I was afraid that I would go back to that shy introverted kid that I knew I wasn't. I knew that wasn't who I was. Very good. Definitely ain't shy. And and I don't think at this point no, any of us would anymore. let you get back there again. And live it almost like your early college days. You oh, kind of no. went more towards a five than a six. Oh, John's tying in the Enneagram. Wow, John. I'm so proud of you. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so <sure>. I... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's extreme. So I, you kind of said this, but I'm going to kind of tie it in in case people didn't didn't quite understand. So you're saying that throughout your whole life, that the biggest hurdle that you have really struggled with was identity. Did being did yeah. being yeah. a Christian, like in your in your childhood, being that kind of surface level Christian, and then in your teens, you know, having having a more having a deeper relationship, and then turning and having to come back in your in your 20s did that make it easier with like your struggle with identity or do you feel like it made it harder being a oh it made made it (laughs) 10 times harder (laughs) it made it 10 times harder because the and I I teach a lot of homeschool kids and I I hope that they listen to this and they hear hear this for what it's worth. There's a lot of misunderstandings and preconceived notions about homeschoolers. There's a lot of stereotypes out there about homeschoolers and about believers that also homeschool. And I believed those for a long time. I I bought into it. I joke about them now because I'm allowed to because I was homeschooled. (laughs) Um, Okay. I am. I am. I'm allowed to uh, make jokes about the homeschool community, but I believed those those stereotypical comments. I believed those preconceived notions. I I bought into it because that's all that was fed to me. That's what the identity was. That's the identity that was placed on that area of my life, and it followed me through school. It followed me through different parts of my life, and so. I struggled with the idea of my identity for so long because I saw what quote unquote following the Lord looked like from a stereotypical standpoint, from a preconceived standpoint. And I was like, that doesn't look appealing to me. Like, and I I say stereotypes, like, you know, the ones that sit down and pray every five seconds, the ones that are super charismatic or the extreme aspects of faith. I was like, that's not who I want to be. I don't, I don't want to be one of those Christians. You know what I mean? It was just like, that didn't appeal to me. That, that religion didn't appeal to me. And it wasn't until my relationship with God and the difference between religion and relation was so apparent and so clear for me that I found that I didn't have to live the stereotypical Christian former homeschooler believer life that God was going to use my strengths to present the gospel in a way that was going to be so unique in identity that I get to actually enjoy my walk with the Lord opposed to feel like it's a chore. So it made it a lot harder. 
being a Christian, it made it a lot harder because I didn't understand religion versus relationship. I didn't understand that my identity could be in the Lord and he has so many fun personalities to himself and he is such a he's such a humorous god and he's such a god who takes delight in in fun and in laughter and in joking and in all the all the things that I love to do the most he takes delight in that but I didn't get to see that yeah getting getting to take delight in using my personality as a strength and not having to be the cookie cutter Christian that I feel like everyone like is, is portrayed as, you know, it's, that's what the media has portrayed us as. That's what the news has portrayed us as. That's what the Bible even sometimes I feel like has portrayed Christians as this, like, cause in scripture it says like, we go against the grain, but like everyone goes against the same grain as Christians. So it's like, that doesn't appeal to me. I want to do things differently. I want to be unique. I want to be like, I want to be somebody that people see and like see Christ differently. And that drives them to want to know more. I want my actions to speak louder than however I could speak. So it was extremely difficult to like understand that my identity in the Lord can actually look like a fun, happy, go lucky, no care in the world extrovert. One of the things that I really appreciate with you is that, you know, for for me personally, and I know kind of we've all had moments with this with you is that because of your struggles with stuff, there's very few things that I can come to you about that shock you. Like it's you <laughs> yeah. take everything. Well, and it's not because the fact that you like gone through it necessarily, but it's Again, you know, everything is so connected to identity. And so anytime, at least for me, that I have come to you about stuff, you have always made sure that obviously that the problem is addressed and that you give the best advice that you can, but you always bring it back and make sure that I'm not like making whatever I'm struggling right. my identity. And you always, you always emphasize that you know, I'm still a child of God and I'm still loved and I'm still the person that I was or that I am, despite the fact that I may be struggling with whatever I'm struggling with. And I, I, that is something that I have always greatly, greatly appreciated. And I think that's a big reason why, um, Liv, you've, you've said this multiple times. You said, you think that there is a soulmate for everybody, not just with, you know, a romantic relationship, but with friendship, friendship relationships. And I definitely have different soulmates and you are definitely one of them. But I think that's mm. one of the reasons why we are is because we, you are able to connect to me the way that I need to be connected and I'm able to connect to you right. the way you need to be connected. Mm, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for affirming that. It, it's, <laughs> it, no, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, you sit back and you wonder, like, am I doing what God's asking me to do? Am I fulfilling you know, fulfilling the prophecy that God has placed in my life. And am I being the best version? Am I being the best vessel for the Lord? And I don't want this to sound like dumb, but it always, it does. It always takes me back for a minute and takes me aback for a second to hear things like that because I didn't like who I was in college. 
Same. I don't think many people who are in my life now would like who I was in college, like at all. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't like who I was. I don't like you in college. What? Oh, shut up. John said he might have liked you in college. John might have liked me in college, but I don't like me. Then. <laughs> and there's a there's a constant desire to check my heart. There's a constant desire to make sure that I am. I am able to be a vessel in that sense for the people around me. So I, I really do appreciate you saying that. And I, I, it blesses my heart so much to know and to hear through other vessels that the Lord is pleased with what I do. Because <laughs> sometimes I'm like, all right, let's see about this. Cause I don't actually know, but no, nothing, no, I- nothing really scares me anymore. Like I'm like, eh. It's very, it, I used to say all the time that I had certain, and I still do, that I have certain people when I have, you know, problems that I go to. I mean, obviously John hears everything, but Not it was- in my head viciously over yeah, here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> obviously it was, you know, if I needed to kind of really think through something, I would go to Caroline because Caroline's Thank so you. good about kind of dissecting everything and asking tough questions. And if I needed more of, you know- kind of just cheering up. I would go to a friend, you know, our friend Blair, who we've talked about before on here. And we have another friend, Caitlin, that is, has more of a scientific mind. And so if I needed kind of medical advice, I'd go to her, but Liv, you kind of like are really good about assessing the tone Mm -hmm. and adapting to in any of those vessels. I mean, I still go to Caroline if I need to, you know, think through stuff and because that just is how she deals with things and it's helpful. But like Liv, I know that if I need to think through stuff, but I'm emotional, I can go to you and you kind of calm me down first and then, and then help me kind of think through stuff. And I know that I can, again, I know I can text you or call you about anything and there's just no surprise. It's just like, okay, well, here's the problem. Let's deal with it. Yeah. This has been a slight brief preview of Hot Seat for Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I had a point. I'm trying to make it about me. I had a point. Oh, I I really, really appreciate you saying that. And I really appreciate you affirming me in that. Because I don't want to say it's the first time and sound prideful. But each it, it's like every single time somebody says it. And I know you've told me that before. Mm-hmm. But again, every single time somebody different says it or the same person says it. Even if it's 10 minutes later after saying it once, not only do I feel extremely reverent before the Lord of like, wow, thank you for really changing my identity. Thank you for really altering my viewpoint of who I am and my viewpoint of who I can become and my view of of, of the Father. But I also become very humbled by just the fact that the Lord would use me in that that he would allow me to stumble, fall, literally turn around and say, eh, that doesn't sound appealing. I'm going to go act like this and still be like, no, you're mine. And we're going to make this about me. And to be allowed to do that by, by our father, even through all of my struggles, I'm, I'm just very humbled and reverent on that. And yeah, so thank you for, thank you for saying that, that, it's now on record, so I can listen to it all the time. <laughs> well, and I think it's when, when one of the things that I, I truly, truly stand firm in is when you're supposed to share your testimony and when you're supposed to share facets of your testimony that in that moment, 
it, the Lord's going to articulate your voice and articulate your, your, your tone and articulate the words you use to the clearest ability for that medium, whether it be face to face, whether it be over podcasting, whatever. So, you know, it's really easy to talk about oneself and one's life, but sometimes it's really scary. You know, we, we are afraid of what people are going to think like, oh, Olivia struggled with identity and she just seems so confident and she just seems like her life is so put together. No, not the truth. <laughs> but so getting the opportunity to speak about it and getting the opportunity to allow the Lord to literally speak for me was my huge prayer before coming, you know, and talking about it was like, I was like, Lord, I want this to be you. I don't, it's because it honestly, it's not my story. Yeah. I'm the, I'm the character in it, but at the end of the day, this is all the Lord's story. This is not me. The Lord literally had to do some like big things because identity is hard and it's something that you're never going to just turn around and say, Oh, I'm super confident in my identity now. Like you're lying to yourself if (laughs) if you're confident in who you are, because the Lord's going to constantly check you and wreck you. (laughs) Yup. Yup. We all know that. All right, Liv. So before we let John kind of close everything out, um, what advice would you give to the listeners who are listening aside from the um, listeners who are, who are struggling not with besides the listeners that are not listening would you give to them about if they're struggling with identity right well so i think the biggest part about really moving forward in identity is dying to oneself allowing yourself mm-hmm. to die to your idols um, dying to the things that are distracting you and dying to your, your, your identity. You know, there's, there's yourself and then there's your identity, the stone wall, the mask that you put on. I think it's extremely important to, you know, wreck yourself a little bit. Um, I gave up dancing twice within this testimony. I gave it up twice. Um, there are two very clear moments and one was right after college because I knew I needed to give it up because my identity was not in dance. And then there was one time recently with when I moved back from Houston, I needed to give it up and I was willing to give it up for the rest of my life. But it was something I was holding on to so di- so tightly because it was the only consistent part of my my story was I always had dance. I always had that underlying understanding that this is who I was. This is who I was created to be. And the Lord was like, no, you're created to do much more than just dance. And I had to allow that to die. I had to allow my understanding and my willingness to be outgoing and happy and positive and supportive. I had to allow myself to die to that, to that fact and be willing to do and be whomever the Lord asked me to be in my identity. Luckily, it was the same, so thank you, Jesus. (laughs) But I think with identity, it has a lot to do with allowing yourself to fully lay it at the cross, lay it down, accept the salvation, accept who the Lord is, accept who Abba God is, accept who 
what except what Christ did for us, accept the Holy Spirit fully and let the Holy Spirit fully saturate not just the spirit of within us, but the bones within us, the organs within us. Let it go through the blood, let it seep out of the skin and literally let it saturate the areas around you and be okay with whatever that Holy Spirit is going to do and and be perceived as. Because if you're not willing to live with that Trinity in that retrospect, being a true father, a true savior, and a true saturated washing, you're not really dying to yourself. You're holding on to an identity that's not that's not the Lord. So the advice I would give would would be really search your heart and really see what parts of your heart you have to die to before before the Lord and lay it down. Because it's so much sweeter and it's so much richer when you live within an identity of the Lord. Take it from somebody who still struggles with it every day, but has tasted it and has smelled it and has experienced it. And when I do struggle with the identity, it's like, ooh, I don't like that. Ew, ew, ew. I want this one over here. I want the Lord's identity because that's so much more fun. It's so much more fun. Yeah. So that's my, that's my advice. That's my long-winded <laughs> advice. It's really funny because I'm looking at Zencaster and I'm looking at the squigglies and all I ever see is my own. <laughs> well, and I mean, obviously this, this is going to be a little different than what our normal, our normal episodes look like. And so the next episode, John Squiggly is going to look most, is going to be mostly there because it's going to be his, his testimony. So. It's gonna be his. It's squigglies. gonna be his squigglies, and then it'll be mine, and then we get to put Caroline on the spot. So and you'll see more squigglies yeah. for me than you've ever seen before. <laughs> wow. Good. Wow. All right, John, are you ready to sign us off? No. Well, too bad. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Call to the Table. We appreciate you. If you made it this far. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. I might, I might be bored with some people, so, you know. If you made it this far, congratulations. <laughs> if you would like to get in contact with us for any questions, comments, or topic suggestions. Or concerns. Please, you always yeah. get that one. Emotional outbursts. Emotional outbursts. Smart get, Alec remarks. If you're really concerned about live after this and some positive thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> or if you're concerned about our, you know, sanity of being with her. <laughs> I'm a cool person. Come hang out with me. I have a personal Twitter if you really, really want to hang out with me. <laughs> well, feel free to message us as the table team at table team C3T or Instagram at call to the table pod. And please join us on our next episode where we do this with me in the hot seat. <laughs> Hello. Bye. Bye. I talk. Bye.